Hello, everybody. This podcast is Lava. My name is James Fond. With me, as always, Sam Shoemaker, Silas Whitlock, and in the corner, who's not going to talk very much or ever at all, Nick Frame. Hey, hey. What's up? Today is part two of Al Capone. Dun, dun, dun. Sam, give us a little recap. Well, when we last left them, when Capone was younger, he moved up into really leading certain street gangs and built a name in the community by doing good deeds for people in a way to keep public face while still being a ruthless, ruthless leader. He wanted to be a good guy in the sight of the public. Yes. But be a ruthless leader in the sight of other mob bosses. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, a, a tidbit that I actually missed um, from last week, or I didn't go into a ton of depth, is that when he first got married, he moved away um, with his wife and tried to settle down. I thought that he kind of stayed in the dirty while he was doing that, but he actually settled down and worked like the standard nine to five, tried to go straight just like his parents did, mm-hmm. but eventually he did get pulled back into the gang life when um, Yale... Frankie Yale yes. asked him to come to Chicago and he was not settled with his he, job. Yeah, he worked as an accountant for a yeah. construction company. He in... was not happy Wow, with that. that sounds yeah. like a boring job. Oh, yeah. Thank you to all you accountants who he, enjoy numbers. And yes. he would have stuck with it for the rest of his life had he not been called back and not been given. Yeah, he was, he was not happy with it, but he really didn't want to be in that that lifestyle he didn't want to live a bad life which is interesting it, it is interesting and he had a knack for it so yeah. when he got that call it what, was kind of like oh yeah i was good at that i mean the documentary said if he would have used his mind he was an absolute genius yeah if he would have used his mind towards good well, he would have been a very very successful businessman it the record of his the record that i found out of his, of his iq was that he was just barely above average Interesting. Yeah, he just knew how to run a business well. He was a good leader. In fact, IQ yeah. doesn't obviously test everything. It no, just but tests yeah, IQ. But part of my follow-up research was actually listening to a a podcast that broke down the way in which he managed his business and looked at it in an applicable way to like your own business. Like, kind of strange. You're taking a mob boss and you're going, "How did he run a business successfully? And how can I apply that to your life?" Or to your own to your own method of running your business. Don't pay taxes, everybody. It works out real well. In the really end. well. Don't get syphilis oh. either. Oh yeah, definitely get syphilis from a hooker. But I mean, it makes sense. Never that stay he, truthful to your wife. It it makes sense that he re- like to your he wife. viewed his crime as a business because it it was actually a business and he it was something that was for the people more than yeah. it was for the criminals. Yeah, especially once we get into this week's topic with more of him as the mob leader. It becomes a corporation. It becomes a multi-location, multi-level business that has honest fronts and it has dishonest fronts. Yep. And it's all thanks to, what is it, the 18th Amendment or whatever it was? Yes, the 18th Amendment of Prohibition. Yep. This episode of This Podcast is Lava is brought to you by Jonathan Russell Photography, based out of Reno Rancho, New Mexico. I've known John for forever and he's a good guy. And he also takes great photos. He specializes in landscape, wedding, and senior photos. To book Jonathan for a photography session, check him out on Facebook or Instagram. His info is there or in the description. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, so this all leads up to, like I said, Capone goes to Chicago, gets involved with the gang life again, and then um, eventually comes into the right-hand man position, basically, beside 
Torio, and that leads into a conflict between the Northside gang led by O'Banion and Torio, and there's a hit called O'Banion gets killed in his flower shop, and the Northside gang gets taken over by Jaime Wise, who is in collusion with Bugs Moran. Um, collusion. That will play majorly into part two of this. Um, and Bugs Moran, just, just for you all to know, he was a guy to be feared when it came down to criminal activities or anything in general. He was definitely like the muscle of... Yeah. Like... He's a brute. Like, yeah, he's just like, if brute. you can think of Juggernaut from, like, Marvel, that's mm-hmm. who he is. Yeah. Just like... Yeah. You actually, you'd think his name is a little bit comical, but really, it's almost horrifying when it's put yeah, together. He, like, Bugs is kind of like a goofy name, maybe somebody with large eyes or something, but then it's Bugs Moran, and it's pretty serious. If you hear he's coming after you, yeah. you're probably dead. Yeah. So, what does happen then he's is... He's the John Wick of the 1930s. Yeah, actually. Yeah, except could you way imagine, sloppier. Could, could you imagine John Wick, but it's like, Bugs Moran. With a fedora. <laughs> oh my gosh. Bugs Moran 3. <laughs> Bugs Moran, <laughs> chapter 3. He's just... Uh, that, like, that, that, that's all... Wait, that's the wrong He's character. just kind of fat. Yeah, yeah. He's just kind of fat with a machine gun. Oh gosh. So, tensions are high between the Northside gang and the Chicago outfit, which... Ends up leading into a hit then being pulled on Torio, and he's ambushed, shot, and this basically is a huge wake-up call for him where he ends up retiring out to New York and leaving the full control of the Chicago outfit to Al Capone, which is where we pick up for part two, the year being 1925. Torio is in New York, in Brooklyn. I think he becomes a barber, um, and Capone is left in charge at the age of 26. It is estimated that the racket that Capone set up brought in $120 million a year in sales. At that point, basically, they're a small corporation where they have people at every level doing- Have you ever made a million dollars, Sam? Yeah, in my entire life. How about a 200 in, your, in my entire, whole entire life. Nope, never mind. <laughs> I was like, going to say, I think Sam, I've made maybe $60,000 in my entire I've life. I've made more than that, but- Yeah, I've made like maybe- Maybe actually, like I, could, I would almost put grand. money down on it that I, I'm pretty sure I've only ever made $60,000 in my entire life. So I was like, I'll put all my money right now. That I've only made 60 <laughs> Yeah. But to be fair- <laughs> $2 and six bottles of bourbon. <laughs> to be fair, I've only been working a full-time job for about a year now. Yeah. So let that rack up for a couple years, and then maybe we'll talk again. <laughs> There's... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, $128 million is like quite a bit of money in a, in a year. Yeah. What, yeah. Are they, what are they, how are they getting this money, Sam? Well, the most famous thing that happened in that time period was the ratification of the 18th Amendment making alcohol illegal, otherwise known as prohibition. So with the enactment of the 18th Amendment and making alcohol illegal, Johnny Torrio and Al Capone saw an opportunity to not just sell illegal alcohol at an uh, inflated rate, but produce it and distribute it all across, you know, like their territory. They became the source. They became the source and they could control prices that way. So they saw a, an empire with this. They so it's just modern entrepreneurs. Yeah, for real. They saw they saw a need and they fulfilled it. Yes. And that's go. how they made their millions. And that's the end of this podcast. Thanks for coming by. <laughs>
But that's also, <laughs> this is not the end of the podcast. That's why they had the love of the people. Because wait, wait, there's more. Most of the people did not favor the 18th Amendment. No. And so people like Capone, who are sourcing alcohol to the everyday working class man, they're happy with him. Yeah. They like him. They, they like him very much. And so. Except for his violence. They didn't like that. They weren't overly fond of that. No. But he also wasn't very fond of that. You mean murdering people is, like, not very popular amongst people except for Joseph Mangala? Yep. Yep. There are four things that are always going to be around in life. Death, taxes, cigarettes, and alcohol. (laughs) Don't necessarily agree with the last two, but the first two are 100% true. Oh, cigarettes and alcohol are always going to be around, man. They'll never die. They will. Same with trains. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Coming back around, Al Capone boasted that he owned 50% of the police force in Chicago, and he had connections within all the political sectors of the area. And all of that led to him being able to use violence as a way to increase control and power over the other rival gangs and over the alcohol market brothel market, drug market, basically crime yeah, market crime. of Chicago. All of crime in Chicago. Because I'm sure this happens today, but back then, crime, this kind of network of it, it was it was organized crime to a degree that you don't see very often anymore. It wasn't just like yeah. Joe Schmo robs the bank or Joe Schmo, you know, kills a drug dealer and steals his loot. It was if it, you were in their territory and you did something, you had to have the permission of the mob boss. Yeah, you did. The 18th Amendment is the only amendment to be repealed from the Constitution. This unpopular amendment banned the sale and drinking of alcohol in the United States. The amendment took place in 1919 and was a huge failure. So, this is very true because alcohol, obviously, lots of people like it. When that happened, Al Capone and Johnny Torrio actually started buying local breweries for like pennies on the dollar. I mean, because that's they were all shutting do. down. If I had a bunch of pennies and, and so a brewery was going out of business, they were just I'd buying a bunch them. Of pennies at them. <laughs> they were just buying them, and they would essentially a keg of beer that could sell for five dollars back then. They would sell for forty-five dollars. Wow. Yeah. And did they water it down or was it? No, they didn't water it down. Really? They just See, made, I thought they, they watered made, it no, down. No, they didn't because, dude, they owned like all of the. So I guess. So Al Capone's, Al Capone's gang and, and organization, they made beer. While um, o- the Obanion gang, they made whiskey. Okay. So that's, I mean, so you had two different types of of alcohol going through Chicago and whatnot. And, and that's why those two butted heads is because they were both trying to own the alcohol game or game, but it was just so at one point they, they got together and there was a whole thing and you guys should do research because it's not entirely important to keeping this podcast. If you're interested, if you're interested in finding out more about that, um, you can do your own research. Yes. And, uh, just, yeah, there's, it's not really important to this story, but it's something if you are interested in, the Al Capone and just mobsters back mm-hmm. then. Right. So feel free to look it up, but it's not important to the story. There's it's one of those a lot you'll of, go down a rabbit trail with There's it. a yep. lot of information and all the major gangsters tend to overlap in new and interesting ways. Yep. 
it's a whole thing and none of us are historians by any means we're just trying to give a very interesting <laughs> story and uh break it down for you to listen to and enjoy and hopefully learn a thing or two but by no means are we experts in any of these topics and if we miss something or if we get something wrong that's why so listen at your own risk so part of this whole control racket that capone built up was also that any place of business that refused to sell or rather to buy his liquor usually would end up getting firebombed Huh? weird yeah what a coincidence what a coincidence interesting it is said that roughly a hundred people were killed in chicago just from those types of bombings during the 20s um now i've i saw some mixed uh mixed numbers but one of the things that i saw was that roughly 700 people in total were killed in chicago in relation to uh the prohibition act and the the crime and the, the, the all that that we're talking about here but during all of this, Capone kept his public image. He continued to help those in need in the community. This was the Great Depression, or this was the beginning of the Great Depression. And he was actually one of the first people, or maybe the first, to set up a soup kitchen or a, a yeah, soup Yes, line. yeah, he was one of the first to actually set that up. Because again, mm-hmm. he wanted to be seen as a good guy in the public eye and a... Horrible tyrant in the mobs. He really didn't like violence when he started this. Which was Torio's way of running things. It was about... Torio's way was violence? Torio's way was keeping peace. Oh, yes. And negotiating. Yeah. And keeping a a public persona. Yeah. He was a businessman. Yeah. He wasn't wasn't a a mob boss. He He was was just a businessman with uh, shady dealings. Yeah, exactly. So the other business thing, in the underworld. Right. The other thing that Capone did was he set up a citywide program to give free milk to school kids, which, again, milk. Yeah, milk. Milk. I love it. Milk. Then people don't steal other people's milk money because you exactly. don't carry it. Boom. Eliminating child crime. Amazing. It's really interesting because his mob was involved with all sorts of legit businesses. And yeah. that was another source of money. And it was also another source of being able to seem legit on the front. Mm-hmm. What I don't understand is why he never claimed the income from that for his taxes, which will come into play yeah, later. Yeah, that doesn't make any thing. sense. And it, but, that whole story is hilarious. Yeah, it's a it's a goofy little story of how pride goeth before a fall or something. Well, there's some yeah, like we, big lesson to learn from Al it. Capone made an oopsie. I was just going to say that. With all of this notoriety, power, and... Most importantly, money. Capone lived a extraordinarily lavish life. Um, he was said to wear the finest suits, cream-colored fedoras, and wait, the best part, silk glove underwear and oh, scars yeah. on his face. He wore those very unproudly. <laughs> yes, very, very unproudly. Very, very unproudly. <laughs> he's like, hey, when he saddles up to a woman, because he's cheating on his wife constantly. Hey, you want to feel my panties? <laughs> 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 I have the softest panties this side of the Mississippi. Oh, that's right. He loved fine dining and drink, and his preferred liquor was Templeton Rye brought in from Iowa. Of course, there were also plenty of women in his life during this time. But I thought he was married, Yeah, Sam. I know, right? He was a very faithful husband, but he also contracted syphilis. So who's to say what happened? <laughs> his wife <laughs> had syphilis, duh. So he liked to test out the merchandise. Yeah. 
Now, it's actually funny because many of his rivals blamed him for the notable increase of brothels across Chicago. Weird. Hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> Not many of them were involved in that. And they kind of seen that, saw that as more of like a uh, not good thing. I can't think of the right word, but it wasn't something that they were looking for. Just vulgar, foul. Yeah, vulgar. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a vulgar thing to them. Whereas um, the more like liquor racketeering was a positive thing or an okay thing, an acceptable thing. This is perhaps the coolest thing that I found about Capone. What is the coolest thing you found about Capone, Sam? He had. A custom-built bulletproof Cadillac. What? Oh my gosh! Yes, this Did is so cool. They put a bunch of Cavalier vests. Cavalier. Cavalier. <laughs> no, better than that. What? They lined basically the entire car, front to back, bottom to top, even the glass in steel plate. Wow. Here's the thing. Well, I was gonna, I was going to say, the plates would fold up, so it looked like a normal car from the outside. But say, like, oh no, someone's shooting at us. They could just like pull the panels down from the ceiling of the yeah. car, fold them over the windows, that and there'd be little sweet. slots that you could... Yeah. It was like a modern Hummer. I, I watched a YouTube That's video awesome. on this. Mm-hmm. Um, they claimed that it was Al Capone's actual Cadillac. I watched the same video. I, it's wrong. Uh, yeah, but I it's a definitely good example. didn't believe it. I was like, but that's cool to get like so the, they the came whole and idea like, of how so they So this is actually Al Capone's car. Look at these cool flappy flaps. Yeah, and it looked like crap. It was it was probably like, he wore it glove was, silk glove underwear. He would not have this. There's car. no way it they was, wouldn't have nicely cut yeah. lines for the it, like it, it was, was plasma, janky. It was plasma cut steel, and it was probably eighth and eighth an eighth of an inch. It was probably eighth of an inch thick yeah. steel, whereas. His car weighed seven tons, so if you oh li- if you lined a Cadillac with fourteen thousand, inch- pa- how did those tires just not explode? It was a nineteen thirty or so, no, yeah, twenty eight. Nineteen like twenty eight, I believe. It's a bright green Cadillac, and interestingly enough, I did from that video because I was mm-hmm. angry that that wasn't the real one. I went and looked at the real one, and there is another video where a guy drives it, and they've restored it. But what made me angry was that they restored it and removed the armor. So they have it, but it's basically not even the same car because they removed the modifications that was made to it by Capone. Why would you do that? I don't know. So here's this historical piece. We're going to take away the, the, the things that make it historical and just make it a Cadillac. Exactly. Cool. But interestingly enough, it was seized in 1932 by the Treasury Department. Interesting. And. It was rumored, although upon further researching, it was not true, um, that it was then later used to transport President uh, Roosevelt. What? But it was not. They were Aww. thinking about using that was it. That's a cool. Yeah, that's a cool. Theory. They thought about using it or something to that line. The but fact that they it, thought about using it means that it was car? really well built. With Capone as the boss of the Chicago outfit, his Primary focus was really control. He worked and, well, really he had other people work on absorbing or, shall we say, removing rival gangs and racketeers. If he couldn't absorb them, he would either push them out of the city or he would, you know, have them killed in some way or shape or form. Boom, dead. Hey, so you know, Carl, that Steve guy... He could trip and fall in the middle of the street or, you know, wear some cool, really super heavy shoes that are made out of concrete and fall in the river. That guy did an oopsie. Fell down to sleep with the fishes. 
So this is what was a big part of what would later be known as the Beer Wars, where rival gangs... <laughs> I'm sorry. The I'm sorry. The Beer Wars of 2019 would just be like, Guys uh, chugging beer and then trying to slap no, each other. No, 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 no. It would just bu- be a frat party. <laughs> It'd be a frat party. I was just gonna say it's just a bunch of hipsters talking about how craft beer is no longer. So you in. know IPAs are the best beer and sure. nothing no, no, else no, no, is no. good. No, 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 my no. my beer Here's was uh, brewed in the butt of Here's a, a <laughs> rare endangered panda bear and then poured into sea glass water and filtered <laughs> through starfish fronds and mm. now. Ah, uh, this is the hey most guys. disgusting but guys, delicious. Actually, did you know? Did you know? Hold up. Hipsters really like PBR nowadays. That was what that was what became a big part of what was later known as the beer wars, where the rival gangs were constantly killing each other over racketeering land rights, and uh, yeah, it was a rather violent time in Chicago history. Capone eventually set up his mob camp or mob home in Cicero, Illinois, uh, which is a suburb of Chicago. If you look at a map, it's just south of Chicago and completely separate, but also part of it. Kind of hard to explain. It's like Burbank, LA. Burbank is in LA, but it's also separate from LA. I don't understand it, but I was there. This would essentially be his fiefdom, uh, the land which he would rule over as he rigged local elections and bought off officials and racketeered. What? A mobster rigged an election? Yes. Uh, actually, That's why we got this Donald Trump guy. Al Capone robbed, robbed an election. What? Among many others, he supposedly paid 250000 to back mayoral candidate William Thompson, who hinted at he might... Uh, reopen illegal saloons and give favor to people like Capone on the uh, the election day or voting day. Any place that was deemed to be an unfavorable voting location uh, was bombed. Any anyone that was like unfavorable to like an unfavorable area to William Thompson that might swing to the other candidate. That sounds like this Donald Trump elections. That's what happened, right? Yeah, there was actually 15 deaths. Uh, in correlation to that from oh, the bombing. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So go out and vote, people, because you might get bombed. Or don't. <laughs> yeah, it's don't. pretty good. Yeah. Actually, Al Capone's brother was the one that really pushed uh, the violence and stuff on that to yeah. get the right votes. Interesting thing, though. I didn't touch on this. I should have. Um, it was in another set of notes, and then I had to rewrite them because I lost that set of notes. No. But Capone has another brother. Yeah. And he got involved in gang violence very early on. I forget what kicked him off, but he ended up running away to the circus because he got involved in some some gangs. Was and, it his peg leg? No, it's he didn't have his a buck peg, teeth. He didn't have a peg leg or a buck teeth. Was it the fact that he was born with a clown hat on? No. Hmm. But what it eventually wound up to him being is he went out west and changed his name. He would later become a Tim Cook. I don't know if it was a marshal or what, but Dean he got Cook. he got involved in law enforcement and would eventually go to track down prohibition bootleggers and wow. moonshiners. So he basically is the other side of the law to Capone, and it was only I believe at Capone's trial that he eventually came forward. And then when he was asked to testify against Capone, he was like, "Yeah, I can't do that because that's my brother." 
this is my real name and he that would be a conflict wow, of interest. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's why you can't you definitely 100% cannot arrest a, a, a husband and a wife because you know that's that it's just conflict, conflict of, of interest. interest. That's exactly. definitely a thing that exists and yeah. that you can't do. So even with all of Capone's power, a man that we talked about last week, Jaime Wise, whose full name was actually Henry Earl J. Uwojczowski. I prefer Jaime. I do too. That is a uh, Polish. I forgot his name already. That is so. a Polish name. It's spelled W-O-J-C-I-E-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. What it's pronounced, Uwojczowski. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> well, it's shortened to Jaime Wise, which I'm sure is his more cordial name among other mobsters who couldn't say Uwojczowski. Or any other person that's not Polish like you, Sam. Boonchkis. <laughs> <laughs> this was just something I came across regarding Prohibition, but it wasn't, it didn't really tie into the story, but at the same time, it was really worth noting. During uh, Prohibition, the moonshiners had to resort to any alcohol they could get their hands on. So they went to sourcing industrial-grade alcohol, like basically rubbing alcohol to then make into different forms of liquor. Cool. Now, Dangerous. Very dangerous. The government took notice of that and implemented um, a countermeasure by adding poisonous chemicals to that alcohol. Okay, then. Yep. Liquid and- lead. From every source that I read, that is more of a conspiracy theory. Um, the So there was people that said that they added it to drinking alcohol, but it was, um, from all sources that I found, it was only added to the industrial chemicals or industrial alcohol, but it still backfired because there were many reported cases, uh, reported cases of death involved um, the first being reported on Christmas Day of 1926. Of course, it's Christmas Day. Right. A man stumbles into that a hospital. That is so pissed off. Yeah. He's sitting down with his family like, all right, time to cut this Christmas turkey. Ah, dang it, The first died. case was on Christmas Day of 1926 when a man stumbles into a hospital claiming that Santa Claus was literally chasing him. Oh, yeah. Uh, he showed clear signs of alcohol-induced hallucinations, but before he could be treated, he fell over dead. Um. While numbers do vary, it's been stated that up to 10,000 people died from consuming uh, alcohol that was brewed with a tainted mixture. So, And the government did that. That's your fault, yeah. Why is it my fault? No, that's your fault. <laughs> Me speaking to the government, that's your fault. The, yep. Like, the that's government, on them. That's totally The government's just like, whoops. We don't like you guys The government alcohol. did an oopsie. Oh, no. <laughs> 10,000 people dead? At least it's only 10,000. So you remember that part where I said only 700 people died in Chicago during Prohibition? Yeah. yeah 10,000 people died because the government poisoned the alcohol. What? Now, that is the- They poisoned the poison. What? That's the only number that I could could find for that. So if that number is inaccurate, I'm sorry, but that's the one that I saw stated in multiple articles. That was just a fun side note. Kind of depressing. But coming back around to- uh, Uvoichowski, otherwise known as Jaime Wise. Uvoichowski. Yep, well, I exactly tried to that. say it and it didn't work. He had not forgotten about the hit pulled on um, his boss, O'Banion, in the flower shop, and he was still out for Capone's blood. On September 20th, 1926, while Capone is inside his headquarters at the Hawthorne Inn, 
Some of Wise's Northside gang created a commotion outside in an attempt to draw Capone to one of the windows of the first floor restaurant, and then they let loose with their Thompson submachine guns and shotguns, spraying the storefront with lead. Capone was unhurt, but the experience did lead him to um, make an attempt at peace between the gangs. And also, I did I did hear about this. Surprisingly, there was three or four people with Tommy machine guns. Mm-hmm. Nobody died. Yeah. In that, like, and, they were trying to kill one person. Yeah. Just one. Yep. And it was a store full of people. Didn't kill a single person. They injured some. Didn't mm-hmm. kill them. And as, we, as many of you may know, the uh, Thompson submachine gun was known as the Chicago typewriter. I actually watched videos of people <laughs> shooting <laughs> those. Actual... <laughs> 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 Actual 1930s submachine guns, and the rate of fire on them is impressive for the time. Everyone, pause your podcast, go to your computer, and then just slam your fingers on the keyboard, and that's basically what a uh, a Thompson submachine gun sounds like. Okay, so go to an antique store, find a typewriter, type a bunch on it, that's what it sounds like. But you can't Get type- a Thompson machine gun, shoot it a bunch, that's what it actually you sounds like. You can't type fast on old typewriters. because Get a bunch of teeth, pour them on a wooden table, that's what it sounds like. If you type fast on a typewriter, I'm ignoring that because that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Silas. Take a handful of dice, throw them at a child. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's what it sounds like, throw a bunch of dice at a child. But Get no. a bunch of teeth, put them in a box, throw them on the stairs. Uh, okay, okay, so let's from just now try on, and pile drive through this. From now on, uh, Silas and I are not going to be really interu- interrupting Sam as much because we want to get through this. We want to give you as much information as possible. I'm sorry if it's boring. Please continue listening. We love you. Okay, so Capone is not injured by this uh, attack. He wants to make peace. All of his attempts eventually fail. Just three short weeks after the shooting at the Hawthorne Inn, Jaime Wise is murdered by two gunmen along with one of his uh, bodyguards. It can only be assumed that this hit was called by Capone. There's no definitive ties linking the two. His murder took place... As Capone carefully... Capone carefully orchestrated multiple times. Yes. He was never the one with his hands getting dirty. He, he was, was always the one. master delegator. Yeah, just yep. delegating the murders to the other people. Now, interestingly, this murder takes place right outside the Northside Gang's headquarters, which is the same flower shop that O'Banion was killed in in our last episode. Now, Wise left Bugs Moran in charge. I don't think it still kept the name the Northside Gang, or maybe it was just that Moran had his own gang, but it was really called um, the Mor- the Moran Gang. It wasn't called the Northside Gang. As yet another act of retaliation, though, Bugs had the owner of Hawthorne's restaurant, a friend of Capone, uh, a friend of Capone's, rather, kidnapped and killed not long after that, once he came into power. Was that- he tortured? He may have been. I didn't see anything about that, but I wouldn't put it past them. Ugh. Yeah, knowing Bugs Moran just from makes the me little of, bit we know. It makes me think of getting a rat face. I don't... Want to know what that Let's is? But talk- tell me what that is, mm. quick. So a rat face is it? It wouldn't just happen to anybody. It would any? It would happen to anybody that was a rat and like would rat you out. Yep. Essentially like that. Talk to the police. Um, it's when you get your cheeks cut back. So like the Joker. Like the Joker. Cool. Yeah. Big oof. Pull it. They tie you up and then they cut your face back and then they'll throw you in the river. Cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely don't want that to happen. Nope. All of these events really led to Capone becoming more paranoid and extremely mindful of his own personal security. 
He was known to take week-long, very expensive trips to places like Cleveland, Florida, Omaha, and Little Rock with close members of his gang, and they would stay in lavish hotel suites under uh, assumed names, and avoiding all detection would just blow money on uh, babes, gambling, and uh, good room service, food. All right. Yeah. Sounds uh, like a typical night in L.A. Yeah, but in Cleveland and Florida and Omaha and Little Rock. Hmm. Now, this comes to what is possibly the most well-known event of this whole story, really. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Now, this all takes place on, as you may have guessed, February 14th, 1929. Seven members of the Moran gang were in their headquarters, which was a garage on the north side of Chicago. Four men... Uh, besides these seven men, four men entered, two of them dressed as cops and two wearing suits, ties, overcoats, and the classic gangster fedora. They lined up the seven Moran gang members as though against the wall as though they were going to arrest them, pat them down, that sort of thing. But instead, they stood back and rattled them with 70 rounds from, as we have talked about before, their choice, the Thompson submachine gun as well as two shotguns. Um, when the responding police officers Came to the scene of the massacre. They found one gang member, Frank Gussenberg. As he lay dying, the police questioned him as to who shot them, and he insisted that no one had shot him. It was a classic gangster move to uh, keep silent. Eyewitnesses could only identify the gunman dressed as uh, police. Oh, sorry. Eyewitnesses could only identify that policeman or that the gunman dressed as police had entered the garage and pretended to arrest the men before opening fire. Blame immediately fell to Capone, and theories ran that the hit was actually intended to kill their leader, Bugs Moran. The crazy thing about this is that that is the most likely explanation, and if that's true, he was only a few minutes away from arriving at the garage, but he was running late that morning. He missed his own assassination by mere minutes. Wow. You would be, that's something that would happen to you. Probably. I'm always running late. <laughs> <laughs> so that's to my credit in case I miss my own yeah. assassination sometime. But now we'll be prepared. That's, so that we'll, is true. So we'll plan your assassination for 20 minutes before you're supposed to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. When asked, Bugs is quoted as saying, only Capone kills like that. Now, at the time, Capone was actually down in Florida, but some... Uh, some journalists went down and questioned him, and his response was merely, the only man that kills like that is Bugs Moran. So it's like the real-life situation of like the Spider-Man meme, where it's like, <laughs> no, you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay. Um, And, you know, just because he's down in Florida does not mean that he couldn't have called the hit. He had connections from here to Timbuktu, so really... Yeah, there's. I mean, it's not out of his reach, right? But people were saying like, "Oh yeah, he was in he was in Florida. There's no way he could call the hit." Yeah, yeah. One phone call, and he's like, "Hey, kill that guy," and they're and then boom, dead. him and yeah. how many other people are dead? <laughs> exactly. Now, from what I understood, this was a that the lead gunman in this attack was a guy by the name of Jack Machine Gun. Kelly McGurn. <laughs> Dang it, you stole my joke. I was going to say not Kelly. Not Kelly. So <laughs> machine Gun, not Kelly. Uh, but John Mach- Jack, Jack, Machine Gun McGurn. McGurn. Just an interesting name. McGurn. That's the only reason it goes I pointed along it out. with the, another meme. It's like, 
Kind of like what we got into with the uh, Dillinger uh, story. The FBI was still in their infancy here, and they could not investigate because of their limited jurisdiction. However, this was the event that really perked up their ears to what was uh, going on in Chicago at the time. That being said, there was no one ever brought to trial for the murders on the uh, morning of February 14th. Interesting piece to the puzzle. I also listened to a second podcast that was the grand niece of Al Capone. Um, or it was rather, it was an interview with her. And she claimed that, and as their whole family would claim, that Capone had no part in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. As you would. As you would. I don't personally believe that. Yeah, no. I feel but, like that's something a family would do. Right. Especially right. a family that has a history in organized crime. Exactly. Literally did... one of the founders of organized crime in America. Yes. Just so... a bro- just a brother though, because again, uh, like we touched on last week, her mother and his mother and father were um great pillars of the community. Yeah. Yeah. As as all accounts. As a barber were... and as a very religious woman, they no one would have suspected that their offspring would be so corrupt. Precisely. But it is true. The St. Valentine's Day thing uh, that goes down ends up bringing about kind of a snowball effect that leads to eventually Capone's um, arrest. It was about one month later in March that the FBI really took interest in Capone when he was uh, reluctant to appear before a grand jury due to uh, a subpoena. He presented a doctor's affidavit that said he had bronchial pneumonia and the hearing was rescheduled. But in the meantime, investigators found out that Capone had actually visited several horse tracks while being in Florida, quote unquote, sick. Um, it's the doctor said it was for medical purposes. Yes, it was good for the my hair. The smell health. of horses hooves hitting the dirt and, and money. The money. I mean, the money that the money, I was betting just, on them. Yep. I'm healthy now. But Capone did testify um, for the second court hearing when it was rescheduled, and he was promptly arrested as he exited the building on contempt of court. So he posted the $5,000 bail and was released. That is about $70,000 in modern money. So then in May, Capone and his bodyguard are again arrested, this time for carrying concealed weapons in Philadelphia. They had a bunch of sporks in their pockets. Yeah. Sporks. So they were sentenced each to a one-year sentence um, within 16 hours after their capture. So they're like, hey, we got you. Off to jail with you. Um, but Capone was actually released just after short a short uh, sentence of nine months on good behavior. A lot of this, in, in case you're wondering, a lot of these little arrests are designed to keep Capone away from his gang and away from being able to really have control as they're trying to find evidence to put them away for a long stretch yeah. of time. And another thing is, like, if you are able to pull the the mob boss away for a while, it creates... Uh, you're kind of you're essentially removing the head. Yeah, the you're snake. gonna you're gonna, you're gonna separate it, on, it and it's gonna you're, collapse. You're removing, yeah. yeah, yeah, and even the snake for, doesn't know what to do with that head. Even for those nine months, he's in jail. There's really, there's. I'm sure that there's some connection, like inside the jail. Yeah, but, but it's but it's really what it comes down to is you'll have you'll have separate, you'll have multiple people that want to take over, and so you'll you'll divide it. Yeah, and it'll it'll collapse, and it's or it'll much make easier, it easier. It's much easier to take down a racket that is um, smaller, small little yeah, groups spe- of rackets, yeah, not exactly. one big 
Especially wrecks that are fighting one another. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, so actually one week after his release, um, after that nine months and getting out on good behavior, in March of 1930, Capone was made public enemy number one. Boom. Right after John Dillinger. Potentially, but no, maybe not. Really. not. It was, it was pro- I think he was several down from that. Yeah. Um, so then in February, this is just about a year later, February... 28th, 1931, Capone was actually found guilty in federal court on contempt of court charges and was sentenced to six months in the Cook County Jail. Um, his He made an appeal, but that was subsequently dismissed. I don't really understand the contempt of court things. I don't... I know there's one that comes up later that is We're all lawyers. Major. I'm not an Esquire. During all of this, um, like I said earlier, the U.S. Treasury Department is developing evidence on tax evasion charges. Um, In addition to... See, death and taxes are the only thing that matter in this lifetime. That's right. What? (laughs) In addition to it being against Al Capone, they were also looking into charges against his brother, Ralph Bottles Capone, uh, Jake Greasy Thumb Music. Jake Bottles? Bottles is his, like, nickname, his gang Got it, got it. It's uh, Ralph Bottles, Capone, Jake, Greasy Thumb, Guzik, Frank Needy. Hey, Bottles. Yeah, Hey, Bottles. I, I hey, get bottles. it. I just hey, didn't bottles. know if you that know was his legal name, name or hey, not. Hey, Bottles, where are your bottles at? We're running around out of bottles for all the beer we're brewing over here. The place, hey, I mean, not beer. <laughs> I mean, the water. We're brewing water. Yeah, brewing what water. you brewing over there, man? Beer? We collect yeah. the water. We put it in barrels. We let it just sit. It's tasty water. <laughs> We're just making oat water. So while these little arrests are happening, the U.S. Treasury Department is developing evidence uh, against him on tax evasion charges. Um, in addition to charges against Capone, they were looking at his brother, Ralph Bottles Capone, uh, Jake Greasy Thumb Guzik, Frank Needy, and other mobsters that were uh, seemingly not paying their income taxes. Weird. Strange. It's like they're not doing, you know, <laughs> it's business. Like their money is coming from very shady, underhanded yeah, I places. I, I don't think about how much I pay, let alone how much you have to pay. I'd be mad if I were you. The investigation was focused on the lavish lifestyle of mobsters like Capone. Um, it was because clear, you know he's getting a bunch of money, but he's not paying. Income he's time. clearly getting those uh, silk underwears, you know, and uh, not paying income tax on that. So, you know. On the silk underwear? Yeah, on the silk underwear. Mm. Capone's brother, Ralph, was sentenced on tax evasion charges very quickly. And as soon as Al noticed this, he tried to avoid the charges by offering to pay taxes on several years prior. He's just like, so... I may have had... This was the dumbest thing. Yeah. This was so stupid. I may have made some money... You you never know. So he brings his lawyer in, and they created a list that suggested his income was one hundred thousand dollars a year from nineteen twenty eight through nineteen twenty nine. So he's then true. admitting to tax evasion. Yes. Yep. And they turned this list over, and then Capone was promptly arrested, as they now had evidence from Capone himself regarding <laughs> he's like, hey, his he's tax so evasion. Smart. I'm he's, paying my taxes. That's right. Hey, look, see, I I'll pay. I'll pay for that one hundred thousand when he was making one hundred twenty million a yeah. year. Yeah. So yeah, on uh, honestly, does not hurt my feelings because 
the tax system is not very cool. We don't appreciate taxes. Yeah, they suck. But this isn't even the end Our of Our roads are nice. <laughs> Sometimes um, they are. Have you been down some of those country have roads? We've been down 24 lately. June 16th, 1931, Al Capone pled guilty to tax evasion and prohibition charges. Um, now, he pled guilty because supposedly he had a deal that was going to let him off easy. And he bragged about it. He went and boasted to the press yeah. that he had struck a deal for a two-and-a-half-year sentence. But the presiding judge informed him he was not bound by any deal, and Capone, was then, char- or Capone then changed his plea to not guilty on that. So then October 18th, also 1931, Capone was convicted after trial, and uh, on no- November 24th, he was sentenced to 11 years in federal prison Fined $50,000 and charged um, $7,692 for court costs, in addition to $215,000 plus interest due on back taxes. The the six-month contempt of court costs from his boasting to the press was to be served concurrently. The total costs that he had to pay, the $215,000, the... Uh, seven thousand and the fifty thousand all amounted to roughly two hundred seventy thousand in nineteen thirty one money, which would equal about four million in two thousand nineteen money. So, not a huge cut in his money, but still, that's a considerable chunk of change. I'm sure even for him, like if that was a a deal that he was working out with some mobsters, that would be a big deal for him. I would assume. I don't know. I'll, I'll ask him when I meet him someday. Um, <laughs> they put in for appeals, and while awaiting the results, Capone was confined to the Cook County Jail. And upon denial of those appeals, he entered the U.S. Penitentiary in Atlanta. When he was admitted there, he was officially diagnosed with syphilis and gonorrhea. He was also suffering from heavy withdrawal symptoms from his cocaine addiction, which we didn't mm. really touch on, but... He did a lot of cocaine. This is kind of disgusting, but the use of which had perforated his nasal septum. So, like, the, this, the bit between your nose, apparently, was, like, eaten away by the cocaine. Oh, this my is, gosh. This was actually kind of interesting, though. Capone was in prison and, of course, was given uh, prison jobs back then. And I'm sure they still have them now. But he was very competent at it, which his job was stitching soles on shoes for eight hours a day. And, uh, yeah, he was very good at that job. Wow. Was it just with, like, did he just stitch the soles on shoes within the the, the prison? Or? Uh, it doesn't say, but I think for some of those, they would actually outsource to, like, okay. local businesses and things. Wow. Um, but interestingly, That's actually really cool. he could barely write at this time. His letters were nearly incoherent, primarily from the syphilis and gonorrhea, the effects of those delicious... Oh, man, but delicious he was... He delicious was diseases. Very good at stitching souls. Yes. Now, um, so he was seen as very weak in personality um, and out of his depth in the prison system and did not really do anything about the bullying. Like he was not himself by the time that he made it into the prison system. Um, and so there was actually a, a cellmate, or I think just an inmate, a seasoned convict, Red Rodinsky. He was afraid that Capone would have a breakdown inside of the, the prison, and he was a formal for, he was formerly a small time criminal associated with Capone's gang, 
and ended up becoming the protector of Capone while he was in prison. Unfortunately, this kind of backfired because it gave the impression that Capone was being favored in the prison and they ended up transferring him um, to Alcatraz because of that. While he was there, though, he was um, he was stabbed. He was stabbed in the uh, first prison. So there's a lot of bullying and gang violence happening in the prison to Capone because he's losing his mental faculties. Um, so at Alcatraz, Capone's decline became even more evident as neurosyphilis progressively eroded his mental faculties. That's what I wrote down, and that's what I'm reading. Um, so he basically spent the last years of his sentence in the prison hospital, confused and disoriented. Um, really a sad decline from like powerful Chicago mob boss to this groveling simpleton in, uh, in prison. Um, he ended up completing his term in Alcatraz on January 6th, 1939 and was transferred to the Fre- and was transferred to the federal correctional institution at terminal Island in California to serve out his sentence for the uh, contempt of court charges. So I want to touch on something yeah. before we move on. So I didn't realize that he declined before he died. Yes. So you, so I think the general public kind of romanticizes gangsters in the sense that right oh they go down and like you know like scarface like you know say hello to my little friend you know, or, or uh, like bonnie, bonnie and clyde, clyde. Yeah. yeah they died yep. you know they died just like that it wasn't like a hey you grow old and you die this peaceful death or anything like that yeah or you know with with stds like like syphilis and stuff i didn't even know that you mentally declined by the so end we were going to get to that he yeah. was because uh, doesn't it doesn't i we obviously are not doctors doesn't syphilis Nor do we have brain. first-hand experience. Yeah, well, that's that's what I was. That's what I read. Uh, Neurosyphilis. We do not know. Well, <laughs> early early syphilis is treatable, which he was afraid of needles, like we talked about in the first episode. He never got treatment when he was first diagnosed. So eventually, it made its way into his brain and became neurosyphilis. When he was released, he was actually um, I don't know what the word would be. He was tested, or they they analyzed him and they graded him at the uh, mental capacity of a 12 year old because no of way. this because his brain was just gone so uh, uh, say close to his what, what, at what time period this is right towards the, well this was right as he was released so 1939 no way yeah so like all through prison he's just like it's it is mind blowing and if you look at pictures of him there's only a few that I've seen he looks just miserable it didn't really smash up the Chicago outfit while he's in prison for all these years. Um, although at a much lower level of capacity, they still functioned as a criminal organization um, with smaller groups and branches breaking off from that. It wasn't, it will, it would never reach the peak that Capone had brought it to, but with him gone, it didn't fully just like destroy the organization. There was still a lot for the police to deal with. One of the biggest changes that did happen with the organized crime though, was that, no one had the power to have open violence in the same way that um, Capone did. So it really saved the police department having to deal with a bunch of bombings and stuff after that. So anyways, Capone ends up being released from prison and uh, he's referred to a hospital in Baltimore for the treatment of his pariasis caused by the late stage syphilis. 
he was refused based solely on his reputation as the mobster, but was accepted in by the Union Memorial Hospital. Although his mind was failing, Capone was grateful for the good and compassionate care that he received from the hospital, and he ended up donating two Japanese weeping cherry trees to the hospital in 1939. That is a long name for a tree. Sounds beautiful. Japanese weeping cherry tree. So then a very sickly Capone left Baltimore on March 20th, 1940, after a few weeks of inpatient care and a few weeks of outpatient. Um, And he ended up going to Palm Island, Florida, which I think is where he was when he was initially arrested for contempt of court. I don't know. In 1946, a doctor who examined him determined that he had the mentality of a 12-year-old child. And Capone spent the last few years of his life at his mansion in Palm Island, Florida, with his wife and grandchildren. On January 21st, 1947, Capone had a stroke, and although he regained consciousness and started to improve, he ended up contracting bronchial pneumonia and suffered cardiac arrest on January 22nd. On January 25th, surrounded by his family in his home, Capone died after heart failure brought on by apoplexy, which apparently is like a loss of consciousness from a stroke. It's a weird thing where your body, I don't know. I tried to understand it, and I'm not a doctor, so he, he died. Smelled <laughs> he smelled toast. So he died on January 25th, was originally buried in Mount Olivet Cemetery in Chicago, but in 1950, Capone's remains, along with those of his father and brother, uh, Salvatore, were moved to Mount Carmel Cemetery in Hillside, Illinois. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for doing all that research. Yeah. And a lot for, of reading. For, it's a sad- For reading it out to us, yeah. and uh, it's, it's very interesting. It's a sad end for such. I mean, I guess it's a sad end. He did. He wasn't exactly the best human being, but it is an unfortunate end for anyone to lose their mind like that. Yeah. Even the most horrible criminal, I wouldn't wish. Well, some of them I would wish that on them, <laughs> but but for Capone, I it is a sad end for such a genius criminal organizer. I suppose he was such a nice man. Yes, he was Family so nice. Man. He, was so, he was so loyal yes. to his wife. That's why he had syphilis and ended up dying. What? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, just again, this episode is brought to you by Jonathan Russell Photography out of Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Thank you guys so much for joining us on This Podcast is Lava. Thank you, Sam, for all your vigorous research. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Silas, you. for your funny comments. And thank you, Nick, for joining us this week about your random things. Uh, no problem. Uh, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at This Podcast is Lava. We are also on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Podbean. You can also email us with questions or if you want to be on the podcast or if you want us to talk about something on this podcast is lava at gmail.com. Thank you so much and uh, join us next time when we talk about something that's going to totally underwhelm you. Get ready to have the munchies. Oh, yeah.